All right, another edition of Swings and Mishes coming up. Before we get to this week's episode, time once again to talk about HappyCarsFlorida.com and Happy Car Sales. You know, it is July 4th weekend. One of the best car buying opportunities that you could possibly have is going on this weekend. And Louie, you know my guy, 954-745-9599. Only this weekend, Louie, I understand that you're going to be doubling your down payment on any car in the lot. You sure you want to do that? This is a busy car buying weekend here in South Florida. That's right, Craig. You heard it. We're going to double everyone's down payment, in-house financing, bad credit, no credit. We have you covered. Everybody's going to go home with a nice new car. And like you said, we're going to double your down payment. There's no catch to it. Nice and simple. Give us a call. We're going to take good care of you like family. 954 745 9599. The address 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. I've been buying cars from Louie for almost 20 years. 954 745 9599. Better yet, you want to see the inventory? HappyCarsFlorida.com. All this holiday weekend, July 4th weekend, Louie is going to double your down payment. Call him now 954 745 9599. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined, as always, by the one and only Craig Mish. Craig, this afternoon on a Wednesday as we head right into the All-Star break, how's it going for you? I'm doing well, Jeremy. Looking forward to it. Everyone gets a little break from the regular season. We got the Home Run Derby Monday night, the All-Star game, of course, on Tuesday. And then next Friday night, we'll be back at it with the Mets and, and Marlins in Marlins Park. So I look forward to that as well. It'll be exciting to get the Marlins back home. Um, And as we do head into the All-Star break, officially, uh, we have Sandy Alcantara named the Marlins All-Star. We speculated about this last week here on Swings and Mishes as you actually had that exclusive uh, English language interview with Sandy Alcantara. And we've heard a lot more from him in English uh, since then as he was named the All-Star. Obviously, Pretty amazing to have Sandy as a rookie named to the all-star team. He's the fifth rookie in Marlins history. I believe it was Alex Gonzalez, Dontro Willis, Dan Ugla, and Jose Fernandez were the others uh, named to all-star games as a rookie. Your thoughts on, on Sandy being named to this all-star game? Yeah, the, the Marlins had to have one representative in the game, and Sandy was, I guess, the most logical choice because Caleb Smith being on the injured list didn't really give him an opportunity to even be an option, I don't think. So, uh, look, Sandy was extremely consistent May and June. He threw the complete game shutout against the Mets, and his ERA until the blow-up last week was sub-2, so... Uh, In looking at it, I'm guessing the National League thought that he would be the best option. I'm certainly excited for him. I know what he's been through coming from the Dominican Republic, uh, coming to the Cardinals, being traded to the Marlins, learning how to speak English. And certainly, look, is he the best all-star in the game? Of course not. Let's not be mistaken about that. But he is, I think, honestly, the the best representation of being an all-star because there's no question that although – Don Mattingly mentioned several times Miguel Rojas being in the game, and he's off to a great start this week again. Uh, When you think of the Marlins in 2019, you think of their pitching, and you think of their starting pitching, and I think that he embodies what they've done, and we'll see if he's able to build on his first half into the second half, and let's also call it like it is. He's pitched the most innings of any Marlin in 2019. He's been 100% healthy this year. 
And I think that he's got a nice future in front of him. Still a very young pitcher. Right. Well, and that's the big thing as well. And that's the thing that I think most fans have, have sort of uh, wrapped their heads around at this point. It is about the pitching this season. That's been the bright spot all the way around. Uh, and to have Sandy Alcantara of all of those pitchers out there representing the Marlins, it, it just makes the most sense. Um, you did mention Caleb Smith there, who for the first couple of months of the season, it was highly anticipated, if not certain, that Smith would be the all-star for the Miami Marlins. He got off to such a great start. And then the hip injury happens, and he's missed a little longer than I think we anticipated. But it does look like Caleb Smith will be back this weekend. So your thoughts on getting Smith back in the rotation and, and maybe a little bit on how long he's missed uh, thus far throughout this season? Yeah, there, there really haven't been a lot of unusual or strange stories with the Marlins this season. There's probably a few, one of which, of course, we'll talk about a little bit later with uh, Monte Harrison in the minor leagues. That was obviously bizarre. But uh, even if you look back, uh, I believe it was June 6th or 7th where uh, Don Mattingly, when they placed Caleb Smith on the injured list, didn't think it would be a very long time. That was his quote. It was a very short time. I thought that he would only miss one or two or three maximum starts. Caleb Smith has missed a month of Major League Baseball. That is way longer than I anticipated. So I would say that this is one of those head scratchers because while I understand that there is a load management issue and I understand certainly when you have an injury, you want to make sure that you take things uh, you know, very lightly and carefully. But I think that Caleb Smith was out way longer than he needed to be and really at the expense of some young pitchers who pitched very well. Uh, but I would also say that I'm very well aware of uh, his frustration, wanting to be back in the big leagues, not making these rehab starts in Jacksonville. But hopefully that's all behind him this weekend. And we'll see him maybe, I'm guessing, through September at right. this point, because with him missing four or five starts, the issue of him loading up those innings, I think, would be gone at this point. So uh, I, I think that this is a little bit of a weird one for me, Jeremy, because I thought he'd be out two weeks, three weeks max. Turns out to be uh, more than 30 days. So what also makes you think at this point would be if the Marlins are playing it really carefully with Smith, it does make you wonder a little bit if Pablo Lopez is bound for the 60-day injured list at this point because – I mean, his injury a lot more serious than Caleb Smith's. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, Pablo Lopez just started his throwing program. So I would not expect to see Pablo even in July, which would be August, which would be 60 days for him as well. So certainly nothing wrong with the Marlins taking it easy on their starting pitching. But I do think that when you come out a month ago and say that it shouldn't be very long and it turns out to be a month, I think at that point you do have to wonder, you know, what really happened there. So that'll be, I suppose, a question for another time but hopefully Caleb is healthy and and pitches well this weekend against the Braves right if you if you are trying to look at it through rose-colored glasses at least that means we'll probably get to watch more Caleb Smith later into the season we got to see Jordan Yamamoto come up come up we got to see Eliezer Hernandez come up we got to see Zach Gallen not all as a result of Caleb Smith not being there with the Marlins but in some part because Caleb Smith was still doing the rehab was still taking his time to come back uh, whether he liked it or not, we got an opportunity to see some other guys. And now, uh, when he does come back into the rotation, we get to see arguably the Marlins' best pitcher, hopefully into September, where maybe had he just started throughout the entire season, he would have been shut down a little earlier. So that's at least the right. positive if you but, are a Marlins but, al- fan. but also, But also, let's also keep in mind, Jeremy, that he did throw innings in Jacksonville twice he already. Did. 
He did. So, so while those are not major league innings, those are still innings. And look, you cannot convince me that if Yamamoto or Gallen or Eliezer Hernandez, had they struggled at all, right. there would have been more of an urgency to put Caleb back in the big leagues. And I think that it was simply a product of the pitching was going so well that there was no rush. That's an easy explanation to the guys who were in the big leagues. It's a lot harder to tell yeah. the guy who wants to come off the injured list and come back to the big leagues that, no, you got to go uh, pitch in Jacksonville again. Right. So, uh, look, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any really long-term ramifications from this or, or any beef, but I do think that we have to be clear that, you know, when you're told, when you're told something that it's going to be short and it ends up being long, well, look, I think the question has to be asked what happened in between mm-hmm. that time. So that's what I'm just trying to decipher because, again, back on the 6th or 7th of June when Caleb goes on the injured list, it's a 10-day deal, then it becomes 20, then it becomes 30. And now we're going to be heading into, I believe he'll start a clear over a month from right. being placed on the injured list, which is longer than I thought. Well, and especially when he had been pitching so well. He, Until you know, the last start, he really right. had He had yeah. been pitching so well. So, you know, he earned the right to, to come back as soon as he felt like it. So you're right. As, as soon as he does get back, uh, it will be interesting to see how deep he goes into the season. But another player that, you know, we say Caleb Smith was just playing in the minor leagues, a guy that's been producing at an unbelievable rate at the minor league level pretty much all season long after a little bit of a slow start, Isan Diaz. Isan Diaz now has 19 homers. He's hitting almost 300. It, he's been out of his mind as of late at the, on the offensive side of the ball, and we know he's a, a really solid defensive player at second base. But then there's Starling Castro playing second base for the Marlins, and he has not played as well at the major league level as Isan Diaz has played at the minor league level. We could say that for a fact. That, those are just statistics. Uh, Castro's sort of blocking Diaz from getting to the major league level at this point. I know we talked about it last week or the week before where you can expect to see Brinson and Harrison and Diaz all up in September. But, I mean, with the way that Isan Diaz is playing, how did the Marlins continue to keep him at AAA? He hit his 20th home run last night really late. Oh, right, 20 home runs. Yeah, they played a doubleheader yesterday. They finished off uh, one game and then played a second I think that you have to be more optimistic on Isan Diaz maybe than any of the players that they got back in all of these trades. He's been fantastic. Now, look, everyone seems to be hitting there in the PCL, including Adiel Rivera, who was crushing it hmm. before he came up too. Uh, we've seen a lot of guys from the PCL come up and not have the same success that they had in AAA. But that being said, getting the kind of power that we're seeing from a second baseman like Diaz has been as good. He's, he's had basically as good an offensive performance in the minor leagues than anybody really since Stanton has in the minors. So I I think there's a ton of optimism there. I think that he's the opening day starting second baseman next season. If he can figure it out a little more against lefties, he'll be fantastic. But even if he can't, I think it's still okay. Right. How that will play in Marlins park. We really have no idea, but I, I really I'm, I'm super impressed with him and would wonder what their plan is moving forward. Now, uh, I, I think that really the issue is, and I brought it up, and, and listen, if I'm the only one to bring it up, then so be it. But look, Starlin Castro is just not the player that he was in the past. MLB Trade Rumors did a whole breakdown of his season and looking at stat cast and some of the advanced metrics, and they're at the bottom in all of Major League Baseball and virtually everything, last in OPS and all of Major League Baseball. In terms of performance offensively from a second baseman, virtually last or last in all of Major League Baseball, a negative war that is even lower 
than a guy like Travis Shaw, who's having an arguably the worst season of anybody in the big leagues, and they sent Shaw down to the minors for Keston Hira. Now, why do I bring that up? You could probably say that Keston Hira has a little bit more pedigree than, than, uh, than Diaz does in terms of a minor leaguer. He was ranked a lot higher in the top 100. But I did get the question from somebody the other day who asked me on Twitter, well, why don't the Marlins just call him up and just get rid of Castro? And it's not the same as a Shaw-Hira situation. It's not the same as a team that's competing for the postseason that needs every single win that they possibly can. They made that tough decision to send Shaw down after back-to-back phenomenal years because Hura was just crushing the minor leagues and he had nothing left to prove. Now, I I do think that Diaz is in a similar situation like Hura was in Milwaukee, but the Marlins are not competing for the postseason. And the deal with Castro is as follows. I completely am on board with the way that the Marlins have handled this. They thought going into the season that he would be much better. I would tell you that people that I've spoken to privately have told me that, that Castro is on the field, the single biggest disappointment on the team this year. They thought that he could either just put together a mediocre season with a chance to trade him by July 31st. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that there would be any plan and there should not be any plan to call up Diaz before the 31st and before the deadline, and I'll explain to you why. What if, by some miracle, Jeremy, Castro goes on an epic tear over the next few weeks? I don't think it's going to happen, but let's say it did. Mm -hmm. Let's say Starlin Castro woke up and said, you know something, this launch angle, I'm in. I'm now going to be a launch angle guy, which he's not. He hits the ball on the ground virtually every time, doesn't double, doesn't homer. I I can't figure out what's going on with him this season, but – it's, it's been his worst season by far. It hasn't even been close. It's been a struggle. But I would add this. What happens in the next 30 days if he becomes an elite second baseman and the Marlins have the opportunity to trade him? They have to give him that chance to let that happen. After, that, after the July 31st trade deadline, at that point, I think as a fan, you probably would have to start asking the question, hey, Right. Uh, Castro's here. He's not producing. Is this strictly just about the money? Because we know it's about the money with Chen. We know it's about the money with Martin Prado. And we understand it. Teams all around the league, not just the Marlins, are not going to throw $20, $30 million away. And in Castro's case, at this point, it's five and a half or six million with a buyout. They're not just going to dump that. But after they know they can't move him, Mm-hmm. then I think that the drum should beat a little bit louder at that point because then what is really the point? It's to just block uh, Diaz for the rest of the season. Right. If Diaz continues to keep this up, I'm all for player development. I'm all for being patient. But there's just no reason to be patient with Diaz anymore other than the fact that, that Castro is there. There's no other reason. I've been told that he would be up if Castro wasn't there. Uh, you saw last year the Marlins didn't care about service time or anything when they called up Pablo and Sandy. They both came up right. and, and both pitched the rest of the season. Pablo had the injury at the end of last year. So money is not the issue with the Marlins. The, the clock starting on Diaz is not the issue with the Marlins. There's only one issue, and it is the fact that they're paying a second baseman right now uh, for the rest of the season about 5 or $6 million to be last in all of the major leagues in OPS. They just, oh. There's nothing that they can do, uh, hopefully for Castro's sake, he gets hot the next couple of weeks so he can get out of Miami and get to a place where potentially he can compete. There is no question from a disappointment level. People could look at Lewis Brinson and say he's the biggest. It is not. It's the fact they had Castro paying them $11 million and they've been stuck with him to this point. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point in regards to letting it ride out until the trade deadline. But after that, you know, if it's just waiting till the September call-up, that to me would not make a lot of sense with the way that Isan Diaz has been playing. And, and you mentioned, look, he has work to do against lefties. But when you watch the guy hit, I mean, every time one of these home runs gets shared on Twitter and everybody's going wild about it, he's hitting to all sides of the field. He, he's hitting close to 300, so it's not like he's just hitting for power and it's, oh, well, we don't know how that's going to translate at the big league level in Marlins Park and wherever else. He's hitting line shots. So I'm just excited to see the guy play at the major league level whenever that time does come. But we do get to see him play this weekend uh, as he, Monte Harrison, and Sixto Sanchez uh, will all be playing in the Futures game on Sunday, the new American League versus National League format so Diaz Harrison and Sixto will all be on the same team and you know what do you think that we can look forward to and seeing those guys uh this weekend well Harrison of course suffered an injury uh last week and had that whole wild scene play out in the minor leagues where he tried to bat left-handed hopefully he'll be okay and be able to play in this game on Sunday uh, supposedly he will be able to looking forward to seeing him and he's on a little bit of a slower track because of some of the injuries this season to get to the big leagues although Jeremy I do think we'll see him in September Right. Uh, Sixto Sanchez the other night had a tough start, but he's been fantastic for Miami and a well-deserved uh, Futures game appearance. And I think that he'll be a huge spring training next year coming up for him because I think that we could see him in the big leagues in June of 2020. I think there's a chance mm -hmm. for that. I don't think that he'll break the team, uh, break spring training with the team. That I don't think, but I think we could see him in the big leagues in June. Then, of course, Diaz, who we've been talking about, uh, you know, to me, has, is just really the player that I agree with you. I, I want to see as much as possible, whether it's in August or September. So I'll keep an eye on that on Sunday, as well as the other prospects who are in the Futures game. It's, it's crazy, Jeremy, how many players come out of that game and so quickly get to the big leagues. And so it'll be a fun thing to watch in Cleveland. Yeah, it's exciting because, you know, it's cool to see Sandy Alcantara in the All-Star game this year, obviously. You know, you have a rookie, he's there. His upside is tremendous, and everybody's really excited about Alcantara, especially considering he is one of the players that the Marlins traded for when they did sort of, you know, start the build. But it's pretty cool to be watching this Futures game and see three Marlins out there that you're all pretty optimistic about. Like you just said, we're probably going to see all three of these guys within a calendar year from right now. All three of those players should I would be say so. on the Miami Marlins within a calendar year. Within a calendar year, we'll be having conversations about them, hopefully starting games on, on the big league roster. And that's pretty exciting to go into Sunday and know, hey, we can watch players that are going to be the part of the future of this organization. And when you're going through a build like the Marlins are at the moment, the future is what matters and the future is what's exciting. So that'll be a lot of fun. And it's actually a pretty cool weekend to be a Marlins fan because of the fact that you have those guys in the game. Um, some more parts of the future that uh, we'll start with the guys that haven't quite signed yet. And then we'll get to the guys that did JJ Blade uh, won a college world series. Congratulations to JJ Blade, but JJ Blade and Cam Meisner have still not signed with the Miami Marlins. Um, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the fact that 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 feels a little weird to me that I, I figured as soon as the College World Series was over, that would just sort of happen. So what's the deal with uh, with Blade and Meisner? Yeah, I, you know, with Blade, I had heard that they were potentially were thinking of bringing him in last weekend and having the whole press conference in it done. But apparently some contract language 
uh, you know, led that to be stretched out a little bit. He's a Scott Boris client. So, you know, I don't think that there, that really factors huge into here because basically you would think that it's just the slot. He agrees to it and that's it, which is what a lot of the first round picks from college have done. I know the Marlins still feel like this will get done pretty soon, but we are heading toward that deadline coming up in a little bit over a week. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. And uh, look, to this point, Cameron Meisner has not uh, backed off his ask, which is wanting more money over the slot value that he had uh, from at least from things that I've heard is that he was disappointed that he went a little bit later in the draft than he thought he should have. And because of that, I guess he's looking for the money that he would have lost. And certainly the Marlins are just not going to pay that. You know, that's not their fault. But this is the risk that you run, Jeremy, when you take a player and you don't have that wink, wink, nod, nod deal before you take them. As they say sometimes in the draft, somebody referred to me as just popping the player, basically. They just took them with, a, with just a hope that right. they could get it done. And I think they will end up getting it done. And I haven't heard anything to the contrary but I do believe, Jeremy, this could go right down to the very last day, the very last hour, and the Marlins will just say to Cam Meisner, hey, look, here's the deal. If you want to go back to college and play out your last year, then have at it. The Marlins would get the pick next year to take another player if indeed that's what they wanted to do. There's just very little leverage for this player. And I know that there is definitely some disappointment with Miami because they could have already had him in the system and had him developing and had him on the fast track potentially to Jupiter next year and now I think that's in question a little right. bit because getting such a late start uh, but but there's really no worry with Lede at all I think maybe there's some with Meisner but I still do firmly believe it will get done I was told that it would so uh, I do think the last day will come both players will sign and they'll both eventually be in Jupiter Lede may be faster than Meisner but at this point, I think that what you'll see is by the deadline, they'll be Miami Marlins. Look, 30 days is not going to necessarily change the course no. of a career for any of these guys. But, you know, given the perspective that Gary Dembo gave us a few episodes ago when he was talking about their sort of actual 30-day hands-off approach with these players and then sort of implementing what it is that they want to do, you know, as we head towards the end of these, I mean, the second half of these minor league seasons, that means you're not really getting much more than a month, month and a half of working with these players during a regular season and being able to go from there. So it stinks that these guys haven't been in the building yet. It's not going to affect their careers as long as these contracts get done. But, you know, you would like to see them get in the building as soon as possible. Right. And the other thing for, for Meisner, by the way, look, I'm not his rep and I'm not him. And I, you know, certainly I would never try to put myself in, in those shoes. And they do have Burdick and they do have Blade and, and Brian Miller's played fairly well at the minor league level and Harrison and Brinson. There, there are some options. But if I'm Cameron Meisner, I got to be saying to myself, man, like I got a real chance to be in the Marlins major league outfield in a couple of years here. Like yep. there aren't a lot of guys blocking me if I hit and the longer that it takes for him to get that started, the longer that process plays out for him. So yep. it's a unique situation that, that anybody on the Marlins offense is in when they end up signing, knowing that they could be all fast track to get to the big leagues because the minor league hitting levels of, of offense are just so poor at this point. So uh, that would just be my personal advice. Well, and that's actually a really interesting transition over to the international free agency period that's just happened. And a few of the free agents that were signed, you broke the news last week that Ian Lewis out of the Bahamas, the 16 year old shortstop was going to be signing with the Marlins. 
And then they added a couple of more shortstops, Jose Zalas uh, for $2.8 million out of Venezuela and Junior Sanchez for $1.15 million out of the DR. Again, Lewis signed for $950,000. All shortstops at the top of their international class. Uh, I do find that interesting. You know, we've heard how much they love Jose Devers and, and, and um, you know, it's just interesting to add in an, yet another shortstop to the mix uh, for the Marlins, but I guess you can, you can bring in these young, talented players and sort of disperse them across the middle infield and, you know, hope you hit on a few, I guess. Yeah, and, and Fernando Seganal is, is running the international operations, so certainly give him credit for jumping in and being able to sign these kids and the Marlins clearly spending money like they never have on international signings now two years in a row. And, um, and they have uh, Adrian Lorenzo also very heavily involved in their international scouting, amateur cross-checker, uh, Carmen Carson. So uh, these are players and people that you don't really know that are working behind the scenes that are doing a great job for Miami International is huge. Half the league is international. And I know that from the Lewis signing that they are very interested in getting involved in the Bahamas. And why, why shouldn't they? They're, it's an hour away. They're the closest to the Bahamas from anyone. Tampa Bay took advantage of that, of course, with Lucius Fox, who's from the Bahamas. And so their proximity to, uh, to Nassau is also very close. So uh, yeah, I just think at this point, it's a good way for the Marlins to go. And we'll just kind of have to see how that flows. I can't sit here to pretend to be an international expert on kids. We really don't know what they're going to be until they're 18, 19 years old, but you see the commitment from Miami. And that is something that's huge and something that the previous regime just didn't have really in any interest in doing. And when they tell you that they spent money, yeah, I mean, they spent 30, 40 grand on Ozuna and the same thing on Jose Arrania. Yes, and those succeeded, but you really have to spend a million dollars or two to get some of the high level talent there. And that's what the Marlins are trying to do. Well, and look, their all star is a kid who signed out of the Dominican Republic. Sandy Alcantara is an example of one of those kids that, you know, signed as an international free agent at a young age and has developed into really what looks to be a future star. So, you can only hope that the Marlins will continue to hit the way that uh, they feel like they have these first couple of uh, international free agency signing periods of the last couple of years. And so as we sort of wrap up this episode, um, next week I'll be on here with Louis Davila and Ian Smith, and uh, we will sort of do our out-of-the-all-star break uh, recap. But mm -hmm. Craig, this is your last episode of the first half of the Marlins season. And so there, there's been, for, for a team that is, you know, near 20 games under 500, there have been a heck of a lot of storylines and a heck of a lot of things that – have been surprising in a good way, maybe not so much in a good way. And, and, you know, I'm just wondering what, what were your biggest impressions in the first half of this season for the Miami Marlins? I, I thought that the Marlins, uh, both from a pro and, and minor league level followed the process that, that they said that they have, they really have just continued on this development of the starting pitching. And that has been very successful. It's been the very bright star on the team after a tough April, they have been much more competitive in May and June. I don't think it's any coincidence that adding Harold Ramirez and having Garrett Cooper healthy has been a big part of that. And then even in mid June, Brian Anderson started to pick up his offense a little bit as well, not to mention uh, Miguel Rojas batting eighth and then now leading off has been a big help for that too. So the Marlins aren't basically getting shut out or scoring one run every game. 
And the starting pitching, because it's been so good, the games, as I said at the beginning of the year, are going to be relatively quick. Like, these are two, three-hour games. You're not waiting five hours to see a game finish out. Mm -hmm. There are none of these guys that are being brought into games that are four to one, and then they become 10 to one, like a lot of the Tazawa games last year ended up being. So overall, I think it's, it's been a real positive the last couple of months. And uh, I, I really am curious to see what the pitching looks like in the second half of the season. Right. But I do think that for me, there needs to be a couple of guys outside of the obvious ones who we, we want to get a glimpse of, of who could be on the team in 2020. I, I think that's a big part of this. Now, I, you know, obviously Alfaro will be the starting catcher next year. Brian Anderson will be in the lineup somewhere, whether it's third base or right field for the team next year. Uh, Rojas will be on the squad. I would guess Cooper and, uh, and Harold Ramirez as well. But Jeremy, right. there's, a, there's a lot of other spaces that are open for this team. And I don't think that there's any certainty there. And so to see if Brinson in September can come up and hit and to see Monte Harrison and to see Isan Diaz, these are important factors because I think that folks who come out in the late part of the season, when you're competing against college football in the NFL, they want to see what the future is. And, and not just these veterans that they've signed to these one-year deals. And they've all come in. They've all been gentlemen about it, whether it's been Romo or Granderson or, or Walker for sure. They've all done their job, and, and they've been anchors in terms of speaking and having veteran presence on the team. But that's over after the trade right. deadline. And wins and losses clearly are, are as irrelevant as possible when you get into the second half and the Marlins are 17, 18, 19, 20 games over. Now it's time to start to see what the future could look like from a starting pitching perspective and also, I think, from a hitting perspective with some of these kids who are in the minors. So I am very much looking forward to seeing that, and I'm hopeful that's what it will look like in August and September. Uh, solid pitching with backed up by the young kids who seeing if they can make that next step from the minors to the majors. So that's kind of where I stand with that. Yeah, I really agree with you on all of it. And for again, for a team that the wins and losses aren't necessarily the key thing we're looking for, this has been a pretty fun first half for a team that overall, you know, based off the record, has struggled. But at the same time, you know, I think it's this interesting thing. You just mentioned that we want to see these future kids come up and see what they can produce in September and whether or not they can be a part of it going forward. What's fun is that you just mentioned Brian Anderson, Alfaro, Cooper, Ramirez, Rojas, all as parts of the future where a few months ago when we were doing this podcast. We didn't April, have that. In no. early May, we had no. nothing. We had all three we, guys, tops. Yeah, max. And now you've seen not only have all of these kids that were in the starting rotation that, that were a part of this shown, yeah, I'm a major league pitcher. Like every single one of the young guys that we were looking toward have all pitched well enough to know that they're major league level pitchers as long as they stay healthy between Smith and Richards and Alcantara and Lopez. But on top of that, you've seen Yamamoto come up and pitch okay. You've seen, I mean, more than okay. You've seen Eliezer Hernandez. You've seen Zach sure. Gallon. It's exciting to know that the optimism we had going into the year was around the pitching. That's been as good, if not better, than we anticipated. And even though there was a stretch there where the bats were just horrific, when, when Garrett Cooper and Harold Ramirez were injected into this lineup, it helped Alfaro, it helped Brian Anderson, it helped Miguel Rojas, and all of those guys are productive players that going into next year, if you have those five, if you have Isan Diaz, and you fill out the outfield the way you feel might be necessary, it, it could be 
a fun team to watch next year. And so as much fun as we had watching them in the first half of the year, I think the second year could be even more fun because even though you're now out of it and you're not really competing for anything, as a Marlins fan who knows you're looking toward the future, you actually are going to get to see those glimpses of what a full roster could look like with next season's team. Yeah, and I know there's been a lot of you know discussion on on social media about you know supporting the Marlins and coming out and watching them play and all that. And I get it. And look, I I have such a vested interest, obviously, in all the things that we're doing with the Marlins. Right. That I think that that's important. I would never push somebody to to you know buy tickets, go do this, go do that. I don't do that. But the one thing that I would say, and a very big key for the franchise, where I think that at, at the point next year where you'd have to look at it and say, wow, they've really done this, is that, um, you know, I had no problem with the, the build and kind of starting over and treating this as uh, a brand new franchise, essentially. But the pressure definitely next year falls on the franchise to reinvest the money that's coming off the books with Prado and Castro. Like at that point, that's $30 million. And I think as a fan, once and a skeptical fan, perhaps, once you see that money reinvested, and I think they will do that in other players, free agents specifically, when they do that next year, that would be the time as a fan that you would probably have to say, hey, look, uh, not only are they fully committed to changing the ballpark park experience and everything that's going around that and investing in the community, they're actually investing in players on the field. To date, they have not done that in the two years almost that they have been here, and that's understandable when you're starting from scratch. This is what the Orioles the Tigers, the White Sox, the Phillies, everybody does it. Houston, this is the way you do it. You lose a lot of games. You don't spend a lot of money. But at some point, and in year three, I believe that's going to have to happen. And so as a fan, I think that would be the key for me if I was a skeptical fan. Next year, I would say, hey, look, let me see you spend the, the, all this money that you've saved and add some offense to the team. And once you do that, then I could get uh, behind that. And speaking of which, by the way, one thing I can get behind, the throwback uniforms, Jeremy, oh. as you know, Later in the month, they will celebrate the, uh, the 97 World Series uh, throwbacks. That's the extent of what I know. I suppose if you follow the Marlins on Marlin and go to marlins.com, you can get more information. But I have nothing else other than that uh, as far as what they're going to do specifically. I'm guessing there'll be some fun surrounding it. And the players did model some of the jerseys. Yeah. I, had a cha- I had a chance to see that, but I uh, kept my mouth shut on that until mm-hmm. now. So uh, that will be something fun at the end of the month, and I'm looking forward to that. So with that, Jeremy, I wish you a great uh, off time here. I know for yeah. you it won't be as much, but for me, I will take off the podcast next week, and then we'll talk again in two weeks. Enjoy it, and uh, thank you to all the Marlins fans. Enjoy this weekend as you watch the All-Star festivities. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't yet. If you haven't gone to swingsandmishes.com, we've had some really awesome articles up there. Uh, from Ian and Lewis, and and I, I'm really excited about everything we're doing over there. You can subscribe there as well, where you'll not get notified. Ian Lewis. By the way, not Ian Lewis. Not Ian Lewis. <laughs> no, Ian, Ian Smith, and Lewis to, to yeah. Vila. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian and Lewis. Wow, no wonder we broke the news on Ian Lewis. Uh, but but we've had great articles from Lewis and Ian and uh, we will have more expanding so you can subscribe to the website as well which will then notify you every time we do anything um, and also for that matter while you're at it subscribe to Swings and Mishes in Espanol with Danny and Oscar because even if you can't understand them they're giving you just as much great information uh, as we are here at Swings and Mishes so thank you guys for participating in everything that we do um, and I will be back with you next week as Craig has the week off Thank you.
As always, want to thank All Year Cooling for presenting this podcast. All Year Cooling have serviced my unit in my house for more than a decade. Tommy Smith is the best. There's no one better that you could ever ask for, especially with the summer here, folks. Do you need your AC checked? Do you need it repaired? They give free estimates. They have the best financing of any air conditioning company in the state of Florida. And if you want to get a new unit, you need to call Tommy right now, 888-204-5554. As I mentioned, I have a unit in my house. And if I should ever have an issue, and we're talking about two or three in 10 years, I call all year. They're at my house in 10 minutes. They have the best service plans possible, and they take care of you because they've been family-owned and operated for more than 25 years. That's Tommy Smith, my friend, the owner of All Year Cooling, 888-204-5554. What are you waiting for? The summer is here. Before your unit goes down, call all year right now and get it repaired. 888-204-5554. Incredible financing options at All Year Cooling. Stay cool in the summer with Tommy Smith and All Year Cooling. 888-204-5554.